Please be seated. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Our reading tonight is Matthew, chapter 12, verse 33 through 37. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and Father, we humbly ask you, O Lord, to graciously visit your people upon this occasion of the public reading of your word and its preaching. Lord, may the meditation of my heart, may the very speech of my lips be pleasing in your sight. Father, we pray that all who hear would indeed yield to the one who is speaking, not the mortal man, but the master whose voice they recognize as the true shepherd of their soul. May they give him the attention that is deserving to him, who has given them his whole attention and life. Father, may we give him our ear, our heart, our mind, our will, in strength. Lord, we do pray that having heard from our Lord Jesus, that we indeed would take up our cross deny ourselves, and follow him to the praise of his honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. This is God's word. We come now to the second time in Matthew's gospel where our Lord teaches about different trees and their fruit. He first taught something like this back in Matthew 7, where he said these words, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Matthew 7. Now tonight's lesson, which we have already heard, is certainly similar to the text in Matthew 7. But tonight's lesson is very sharply focused upon the fruit that is manifested in the mouth. And if you recall the last time we were in this chapter, two weeks ago tonight, Jesus was battling blasphemies that were being spoken against him. The religious leaders of Jerusalem said Jesus was casting out demons by the power of Satan. Do you remember that? Well, tonight's lesson is a continuation of that same conflict, but there is a broadening of the Lord's admonishment that is before us. So let's take a look at verse 33. Here, our Lord is teaching that no one, no one can play both sides when it comes to good and evil. Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Now at first, it may sound like Jesus is saying people are standing in these hallways of neutrality, faced with a decision to be bad or to be good. If it sounds like that, it is only because that is what the Pharisees themselves sound like in the previous paragraph. On one hand, they make themselves out to be opponents of Satan by accusing Jesus of being an agent of Satan. But on the other hand, they declare themselves to be opponents of Christ on the very same grounds by accusing Jesus of being an agent of Satan. So they're trying to play both sides. And to play both sides is, in reality, to play one side, the wrong side. This is why our Lord says in verse 30, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So back to 33. Our Lord is not suggesting in verse 33 that the Pharisees are neutral, nor is he teaching there is a neutral zone between good and evil in reality. If Jesus thought neutrality were a reality, he would not have limited the outcomes to just two. Either make the tree good or make the tree bad. There is no neutral zone. All people will do either one or the other. Jesus simply phrases it the way he phrases it to be the most effective in the salvation of those with ears to hear him. If someone benefits from the most immediate previous, previous teaching of our Lord, that's 24 through 32, if someone hears it truly, then they will see that they have been double-minded, that they have been opposed to both Satan and Jesus, but with ears to hear, they will realize they are actually a bad tree. Because to not be on Jesus' side is to be on Satan's side. Every time. So verse 33 is our Lord's proverbial way of saying, stop playing both sides. Own your true nature. 
Own it, is what verse 33 is saying. Own it. Why won't you own it, he's saying. If you are going to continue to speak against the kingdom of Jesus, you are a bad tree, even if you also speak against Satan and his kingdom. You are a bad tree. Only when you know you are, in fact, bad at the root, because you cannot speak well of Jesus as the fruit of your lips, only when you come to know how deep is your rot, will you begin to hunger for the grace that uproots and replants the soul in God. Now look at verse 34. If we doubted what our Lord thought of these people, we shall doubt no more, you brood of vipers. Now, beloved, just before we take another step, if one of these Pharisees, or even if one of you, if one of these Pharisees heard our Lord's opening salvo in verse 34, and they fell on their face and said, that's me. I am a viper. Oh, Lord, that is me. You have found me. You have named me. We would be seeing the beginnings of grace's work at the root. Verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus makes it clear now what he thinks of them. They are poisonous snakes. That's what they are. Yes, they are men, mere mortals, but their very nature is corrupt. The whole design of their venomous reptilian nature is malice and malevolence against the kingdom of Christ. They are evil. Though they are clergy, they are evil. This is why they cannot confess Jesus Christ as Lord. This is why they cannot say Jesus is the rightful heir to David's throne. This is why they cannot say Jesus is full of grace and truth. This is why they cannot say Jesus is the Christ of God. They cannot say before men that which honors Jesus according to his true offices, prophet, priest, and king, they cannot speak of such honor because they are evil at the root. They are poisonous beneath the hide. What they speak is crafty, double-tongued deceptions to make an excuse for themselves from having to honor Jesus Christ and to draw others away from Jesus Christ. But this speech of theirs is poisonous because their hearts are poisonous. The poison doesn't suddenly arrive on the tongue. It's from deeper down. It's from a hidden place. It's from the heart. Satan has rooted them in his field, his toxic soil, even though they are leaders in the church of God. They may talk about many things that sound moral and severe, but they fail to speak well of Jesus Christ in his true offices. Now look at verse 35. The good person, 
out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Now here, Jesus is making a slight advance on the previous point. A person's words, that which is brought forth from their mouth, reveals what is truly valuable to them, what is truly important to them, their treasure. That's true of you anywhere, on any subject. It's true of me. From out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The context here, though, is especially speech about Jesus Christ. What kind of hidden treasure they have been really keeping is going to be revealed in their mouth. To tighten this up a little bit, we need to understand that Jesus is teaching about the things we say about him, just like was happening in the previous paragraph. The things we say about him reveal what kind of treasure we have been hiding all along in the most secret place of our life. Now, in the ancient world, you kept your treasure hidden. You didn't put pictures of it on Facebook. In fact, you would often bury it in a field or put it in a secret place in your house. No wonder the Lord's parable about someone finding a treasure hidden in a field and going and selling everything they own to buy that field fit so well for his hearers. They knew where people's banks were. People could not easily see what kind of treasure you had. But when it comes to speaking about Jesus, your true treasure will always be revealed in your speech. To speak against the Son of Man reveals a hidden evil treasure. Evil because what you really want, what you really value, where you really say the riches of life are, is in a kingdom and with a Lord who allows you to practice unrighteousness. And so you cannot speak high of a king who is righteous. Satan is that Lord. But to confess Jesus... To confess Jesus before men, which is an audible speech that binds you to your confession. To confess Jesus before men, to confess that he has brought the kingdom of God to us and has brought us into the kingdom of God, that speaking reveals the good treasure. No wonder Jesus said, anyone who confesses me before men, I shall confess before my Father in heaven. And anyone who denies me before men, I shall deny. So a treasury of grace, though deep and hidden, and nobody maybe knows when it arrived, a treasury of grace that desires the rule and reign of Christ in the soul, the righteous rule of Jesus in the body, the rule of Christ in the world to come, that treasury of grace is revealed in the speech that we make to others about Jesus Christ. Even the way we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul says, if anyone, even an angel, comes to you preaching another gospel, let them be anathema. It is speech coming from an evil treasure a treasure that finds 
the true value of the soul in a gospel of works that exalts in man, not a gospel of grace that exalts Christ. Now go with me to verse 36 and 37. I tell you, our Lord says, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, it is here that our Lord is beginning to broaden the lesson of the fruit in the tree. On the day of judgment, which is that day fixed by God in which Jesus will preside as judge, judge of the whole world, on that day, our words, like bushels of fruit, will be brought forth as evidence to reveal our true nature. Don't separate verse 36 and 37 from the previous verses of this passage, 33 and 34. Fruit reveals nature. On that day, the bushels will come out. Even our most careless, our worthless words, words we thought were no bother, even those words will be gathered up and accounted for. Even the words which we spoke but barely noticed and do not remember, God notices and God remembers. And those words will either be evidence on that day which supports our justification or supports our condemnation. Evidence that either supports our acquittal or that supports God's wrath. For they will reveal the true root of our nature. Now the point here, first and foremost, that the Lord is making in 36 and 37 is that if careless words on any matter are accounted for on judgment day, then how much more will be the words we speak or refuse to speak of Jesus accounted for on judgment day? It would be just like the Pharisees to think that what they had just said a moment ago about Jesus casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul, oh, what, why are you making such a big deal about that? Why are you talking about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? We, we didn't really mean it. Come on, let's go on and talk about something else. Be just like them, because they are bad trees, to dismiss their viper speech so carelessly. Jesus is stapling their boots to the ground. Beloved, we believe the whole word of God. We need the whole word of God. When you come to a passage like 36 and 37, it is bracing. It is like somebody dumping a 20-gallon bucket of cold water on you at 5.30 in the morning while you are in deep sleep. You jump up. Something is going on. But, beloved, we have the whole word of God. How much we are helped to have heard Peter speak the most careless words in the face of Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 8, when our Lord told his dear disciple, Apostle Peter, 
I am going to Jerusalem and I shall be crucified. I shall suffer. Peter got in his face and told him, stop talking like that. These men will hear you. We are not quitters. You are not here for suffering. And what did our Savior say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Why did Jesus say that? Don't overlook this. He said it because of something Peter said. Coming up out of Peter's mouth was that which was in his heart. Peter was desperately in need of grace. The blood of Jesus Christ covered that idle speech of Peter. You may have spoken blasphemies against the Son of Man. Young people, five years from now, you may find yourself in a place in life. I hope you don't. I pray, in fact, I do, that you won't, but you may. Five years from now, you may be in your 20s, and you may be one who speaks blasphemies against the Son of Man. I want you to remember what he said about such speech. Do you remember what he said? He said in verse 32, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. To repent and fall at his feet and weep over our blasphemies of him. He will forgive us if we repent. That is the scandal of grace. We all have much speech that requires his blood. Matthew Henry, speaking of this text, said, we must shortly account for these idle words they will be produced in evidence against us to prove us unprofitable servants that have not improved the faculties of reason and speech, which are part of the talents we were entrusted with. If we repent not of our idle words and our account for them be not balanced by the blood of Christ, we are undone. Praise be to God that we have heard this dear Son of God, this Christ Jesus, say that he anticipates forgiving much blasphemy against him. So here's the lesson from tonight, 33 through 37. The lesson is that how we speak of Jesus Christ reveals our true nature. And you cannot change that nature by going and changing the fruit. You must be changed at the root. Our Lord wants us to not be fooled. And beloved, what we need then is to be created anew. If we are vipers, if we really have nothing good to say about Jesus, we are against him. If we really cannot 
say what he has said about himself, we are against him. No matter how beloved we are among men, no matter how calm and kind and mannerful we are in society, if we cannot say of Jesus what he says of himself, we are bad trees rooted in Satan's field, vipers, even if we are clergy. We need then to be created anew. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Why does David pray such a prayer? Because he knows a God who makes men new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. The old tree can be uprooted and a new one planted in Jesus Christ. If you have not confessed Jesus Christ before men yet, I urge you to do everything you need in your life to come to that day and confess him. Don't let the next two years go by where you do nothing to make preparations to confess him. Make a plan. Ask someone to pray for you. Don't be hasty. But beloved, he calls you to confess him. And then listen to your speech. How do you speak of Jesus Christ? Do you say about him everything he says about himself? King of kings, Lord of lords, the righteousness of sinners, the wisdom of sinners, the judge on the final day. The Lord of life, the Lord of Wednesday, the Lord of the mundane. Say with your mouth everything that he says about himself. And beloved, monitor your speech. Start the accounting yourself by God's grace. And for every misspoken word, even ones you can't remember, go to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for my careless speech. Forgive me for the stupid things I've said. Forgive me for the way that I've spoken against members of your own body. Forgive me for speaking about brothers and sisters in ways that you do not speak about them, even though you know them better than I do, and you know their motives better than I do. Forgive me for speaking that way, Lord. So when those words come before you, Lord, on their day of judgment, they are accompanied by my praises for your blood. Not that the praises for his blood are exactly what saves. It's the blood that saves. But blood, but brothers and sisters, this is part of your sanctification. Let us go forth in the strength he provides. Let us ask for it now. Our gracious God and Father, we humbly confess, O Lord, that we are in need of grace. 
We are in need of that grace which courses through the vine, that courses into the branch, and Lord, that brings us indeed the fruit that you seek, especially in our mouth. And Father, we thank you, for we are not a desolate orchard. We thank you that even this day, we have spoken well of your Son in our praises. We have petitioned him well in our prayers. Lord, we thank you that you have granted and allowed this. Oh, Lord, may it continue and may it always be from a sincere heart and not merely an outward form. For any in this place, O oh Lord, where, for whom their speech of Jesus is simply beginning at their lips and their hearts are far from you, we pray for them that they would know their true nature and cry out to you, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Father, give them that rootedness in Christ that makes the tree good so their speech will be sincere and it will multiply 30, 60, 100-fold and build a lush life of honor and praise to Jesus Christ. We ask all this in his name.